Okay. Now, the last couple episodes have been pretty heavy. We had some tragedies happen in the forecast episode and, and last episode, you know, it's it's never fun talking about uh, plastic pollution. But so today I figured I would get for you, oh, I'm stalling to find my notes. Today I figured I would get for you a more fun, a more easygoing topic. So we're talking, so here's my fact for you today. Ants are really cool. I know that's not technically a fact. I mean, everyone knows that ants are cool, but I want to talk about the specific reasons that ants are cool. Straight up, uh, before we talk about anything about the insect, though, before we talk about entomology, let's talk about etymology. Where does the word ant come from? It's derived from... It, obviously, everywhere has a word for ant. I'm just... Uh, like, like there's all in these different languages that derive from Proto-Indo-European. There's, there's a lot of places that ant comes from, but... The word, the actual word ant in English is derived from Middle English, Middle English, which is ante or emete or emet, right? So all of these, which comes from emet, which is that A-E symbol that you see in daemon or fairy and stuff like that, which comes from emet, uh, from Old English, which is all... <laughs> goes back again, again, a very old word, uh, which goes back again to empt and the old high German amenzia, ameza. Finally, we trace it all the way back to the West Germanic emasch. E I can't, again, I can't pronounce West German, German accent. Emaschon. A-E symbol, M-A-I-T-J-O-N. Say that how you will. But that meaning Ejmaton uh, is a, um, and then which means off or away, and then mate, which means cut, and then John, which like is just a word on the end, I guess. But it's referred to, it's directly translated as the biter, right? That's what ants ants have been known for biting since the the name for them was invented. Ejmaton or the biter, which went to Amesia or Amet. Uh, which went to Emmet and Ante and then Ant, right? So we've got the whole, got this whole cascade of et et etymology here. But now let's talk about some entomology. So ants are way older than like humans. Well, okay. So I guess you can't really say that because I mean, if if we're going back evolutionary wise, we could just say that all animals are the same because we all came from like them single celled organisms, right? But what I'm saying is that ants, not necessarily in their modern form, but as a concept have existed since the late Cretaceous period, which was just so long ago, um, dating back to 92 million years. That's so long. Oh, 92 million years is ages. So, by the way, I didn't know this, but the late Cretaceous period is actually, 
So if I were to say the late 1980s, that would be closer than the early 1980s, right? Well, it's actually the opposite for, you know, dinosaur times. The late Cretaceous is actually further away than the early Cretaceous. Because when you get to like the extinction event, the 65, 66 million years ago meteor extinction event, uh, things kind of go in both, uh, things kind of split and go in both directions. So you would say the late 1800s, but you would say, but to get the same like time frame, you would say the early Jurassic period and stuff like that, right? I hope that makes sense. But yeah, I didn't know that. That was a that was a really interesting fact. So ants have really evolved over time back when they were initially just like being fossilized in amber and things like that. I also found a really good image and I suggest you to look it up of the hell ant. It's this it's it's a, it's a it's one of the oldest ant fossils ever discovered. And it looks it looks like an ant but way different from from an ant. Like, you know how ants, I don't know how close you look at ants and ant mouths and stuff like that. But if you've if you've ever noticed, they kind of have their jaws go sideways. Well, the hell ant, its jaws go up and down, like like the same motion as an alligator, but it doesn't look like an alligator, or a human, I guess. But it doesn't look like those kind of jaws. It's like got these two massive mandibles that like scoop food into its mouth. It's got a huge horn. And what's really remarkable about this fossil is that they got... Uh, they got hit with this amber and fossilized as they, as this hell ant was fighting and eating another bug. So it's like, whoa, that's a, a long, long, long time ago. And did you know that ants cover nearly every continent on the globe, nearly every landmass on the globe, apart from a few inhospitable islands and rocks, and also no. Uh, indigenous ants to Antarctica. Hmm. I guess no indigenous ants to Antarctica. But they cover so much of the globe. So much, in fact, that they may form between, it's like estimated, that they may form between 15 to 25% of, terrest- of the terrestrial animal species biomass, which means that like they're about, there's about, if you look at all the species on earth by the amount of that species that there is. So 7 billion humans and or 8 billion humans and X amount of these kind of plants and X amount of, of staghorn ferns. That's a little wink for later. Then about 15% of those species would be ants. That's a crazy number. But there's a hell of a lot of them because they're really tiny. And the reason that they're all over the joint, it's suspected why, is because they thrive in any environment. And the reason they do that, we believe, is because of their ability to defend themselves, their ability to store food uh, in preparation for like days when there is not enough food to like be gathered and their ability to modify their habitats to exp- and exploit their surroundings and things like that just like people except we did get people on antarctica so ha screw you at we still got one continent that ants don't have so they've been around for so, 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 so long. I said Cretaceous earlier. It's also true that um, there have been studies of, uh, there have been studies or, or observations made that 
say that ants could have been around for way, way longer than that. Like, like a hundred and like fifty million years is the early ant bug sort of things. But they've been around for so long that they've got all these relationships with different animals and things like that. And ants basically cover all four possible relations an animal can have, or they they suffer from uh, all four possible relations one animal can have with another animal. And I'm going to list them off because two of them you probably know, mutualistic and parasitic, right? So mutualistic being defined as when two animals benefit from working together and parasitic being when one one animal benefits and the other animal is harmed in that thing. There's also uh, two other ones, which is commensal and mimetic, right? So commensal means that only one animal is benefiting from the relationship, but the other animal, it's not really, it's not really bothered by it either. You know, like, like they, they are not harmed, but are not benefited. So it's only benefiting one animal, but not harming any animals. And mimetic, where one animal takes on the traits of another animal or, 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 prete- or kind of pretends to be another animal in order to get away with stuff. And I'll start with mimetic because it kind of doesn't fit with the rest of them. So there are certain bugs that I, I can't remember what the bugs were called, but there are certain kind of bug. Here, let's see if I can find it real quick. There are certain kind of bug that pretend to be an ant uh, uh, sometimes. Like they'll, they'll pretend to be an ant in order to gain gain the defense that comes with being an ant. So if I'm a predator and I'm hunting you and you go to an ant nest and say, hey buddy, uh, I'm an ant. So if you kill me, then all my ant buddies are gonna kill you. Then the predator's like, ah, I might leave you alone actually, right? So other animals benefit from the, the reputation that ants have. They also have um, mutualistic relationships with animals like, and this, this is one of the coolest facts I'm about to bring to you, and it blew my goddamn mind when I, when I read it uh, yesterday, right? So, as you may or may not know, aphids, which are like little bugs that eat tree sap, basically, aphids excrete uh, a chemical called, uh, a kind of chemical compound called honeydew, which is very rich in sugars. Now, ants actually, ooh, ooh, sugars, ooh, I will take that honeydew, I will take it back to my cave, and we'll have uh, a big honeydew party or whatever. So they take this honeydew from the aphids. Now, the aphids are giving something to the ants, and in return, the ants defend the aphids from predators, right? Like like small birds and stuff like that. The ants, like, jump up and bite them and stuff so that the aphids are are safe to continue surviving. Now, here is where it goes from, oh, that's kind of cool, to are you serious this happens in nature? When an ant colony moves, occasionally they will take aphids with them to the new location in order for a continued supply of honeydew. They literally herd cattle like to a new place where they're going to live to maintain food. That's farming, baby. I don't care what you say, but ants are farming, kind of. Now, it's not just that. But when I say herd, that's like, oh, I guess they're kind of herding it. They're really just picking up bugs and putting them somewhere else, right? No, 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 no. But I have more examples. The, the 
So caterpillars of the butterfly family, like I hate these words, Lycaon, Lycaon, day butterflies, which are like, um, which are like blue or, or or copper. They're just they're just a family of butterfly, right? they the species of caterpillar are literally herded by the ants, by ants, right? So there are some colonies of ants that have been observed to let the caterpillars into the ants' nest at nighttime so uh, for the caterpillars to rest and then during the day let them out so that they can eat, uh, so they can graze basically. And, and And I think the ants like get something from the caterpillars like, I, I, I'm not sure what that is. The ants literally herd these uh, caterpillars like cat, like cattle, right? And I found out the craziest fact is that the caterpillars can actually vibrate, uh, produce like vibrations and sounds, which the ants perceive and can tell and maybe not understand in the clearest sense. But hey, if my cat meows at me when it's hungry and then it I feed it, that's communication, right? So like these ants are literally herding cattle and actually farming. It's the craziest thing. I, I had no idea that that happened in the animal kingdom, especially the insect kingdom, but here we are. An animal or plant, because they can also be plants, uh, that is kind of, um, kind of designed itself or has evolved to function exclusively with the help of ants, like that caterpillar that we were talking about, is called a myrmecophile. M-Y-R-M-E-C-O-P-H-I-L-E. Myrmecophile. Mycophile. Myrmecophile. Anyway, it's a it's an animal that, you know, is designed to kind of live around plants. There's actually, um, and here's another crazy statistic. So there are myrmecophile plants that exist that have designed their seeds in such a way that ants can like carry the seeds pretty easily and also want to carry the seeds because the the seeds are covered in like fats and lipids and sugars that the the ants really like. So they pick up the seed, eat them, and then drop the seed off wherever their nest is, which then, you know, spreads out the seeds and stuff like that. But apparently around 9% of all plant species on earth have have ant-specific seeds. 9%. That's that's a huge... uh, When you think about all the plants, there are just in existence, like all the plant species there are, 9% is a massive amount. It It's really amazing. Okay, here's another big kind of chunk of this topic, right? Eusociality. So ants exhibit a form of eusoci- of, soci- of society called eusociality, spelled E-U sociality, right? This is part of like like animals can exhibit a bunch of different social features right so a 
an, an animal species that only really gets together when mating or when courting or mating, right, is called a, uh, I think it's solitary, solitary but social uh, thing and uh, solitary but social when they do that. And when a group of animals lives together and hunts together, but they like parent their own children and things like that, it's called pre-sociality, right? So eusociality is, and also the etymology of that you comes from the, the, the old Latin word for good. So it's like good sociality because this is in the animal kingdom, probably the, the height of, uh, cooperation that we see, right? So it's often, it's almost always exhibited by ants. It's often exhibited by bees, and it has, and it is occasionally exhibited by mammals, specifically the naked mole rat and another kind of mole rat that isn't naked that starts with a D. But I can't remember what that's called. But mole rats exhibit this behavior as well. No other mammal does this because most of the time we as mammals care for our own young and not the young of others. But that's one of the requirements. The three requirements of eusociality is cooperative brood care, is overlapping generations. And by that, I mean in a we, t- we as humans technically have overlapping generations, but what it's more broadly defined as is there are a lot of animals where they will kind of uh, lay lay an egg or have a, have a baby and they'll raise that child until the child is old enough to go out and hunt. And when it is, it will either go off on its own and do its own thing or by the time the uh, child has reached maturity the or the offspring has reached maturity, the parent will have died. And so there is no generational overlap of working together. But Having those overlapping generations is the second requirement of eusociality. And the third is the division of labor. So dividing up the species into those that work and those that reproduce, right? The reproducing animal caste, let's call it. The reproducing caste uh, make babies to keep the colony alive and the worker class defends and goes out and finds food. And yeah, exactly. There was... Uh, one name that kept cropping up as I was researching eusociality. Oh, by the way, the the lady who invented it, uh, invent not invented it, she didn't invent how ants work together, but she coined the term, was a woman named Suzanne Barter, uh, Barter in 1966. But this name kept cropping up over and over and over again when I was researching this. A man named E.O. Wilson, who was considered the father of biodiversity. And... He seems like a really, this is just my personal opinion, but he seems like a bit of a mixed character morally. Like, he talked a lot of stuff for the environment, for biodiversity and for saving the planet. I'm like, yeah, that's a win. And then he talked about stuff like, and also religion should be like, it's holding us back. And I was like, oh, I can't agree with you with that, actually. I I can't agree with that in good conscience. Sorry, uh, E.O. Wilson. Now, for all the good stuff he did say, he wrote a really controversial paper on humans having a form of eusociality, which but on the surface seems um, seems kind of, yeah. So it takes a village to raise a baby, 
It takes a village to raise a baby. That's cooperative brood care. Like, we have a form of that in daycare and school and stuff. Um, Overlapping generations, certainly. I'm currently going to school with not just people way younger than me, but people surprisingly older than me as well. So we've got overlapping generations. But then we get to the third requirement, which is the division of labor into worker and baby maker and when and and you can see where this starts to get very very controversial right so uh, not a lot of people liked it but it was just uh that name kept cropping up and i kept wanting to know also oh, what sociality is humans are we you social and stuff like that and um and really we're a bit of a a mixed bag we're kind of a special case because of our um like sentience and intellect and stuff like that yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you sociality. Yeah. Now, for the longest time since its invent, since its uh, coinage in 1966, we have assumed that you sociality was only present in animals, right? And and specifically in ants and bees and some naked mole rats and things like that, because it is considered. So, like a lot of um. I couldn't find a hell of a lot of information on this, but what I did find said that as species kind of evolve socially, their their sociality kind of increases. So you've got that uh, social but solitary uh, portion, which is right at the bottom, and then pre-sociality, which is like wolves working or lions hunt uh, working together to hunt animals and stuff like that. And then above that, you have... Um, uh, you have uh, a couple other things. There's supposedly eight steps, but oh, I don't really know. Anyway, eusociality is at the top of that list, right? Because it is theoretically in the animal kingdom the the most efficient, like the best way for a society to organize itself, right? Whether or not that's true, but it's considered the top one, right? So that's why we considered that only ants and, and other insects like that had it, animals, right? But... And this isn't really about ants, but I think it's an interesting thing anyways. There have been studies shown that, get this, plants also exhibit eusocial traits in some occasions, right? Plants, those things that seemingly don't communicate and just kind of sit there and grow. Oh yeah, they've got society going so it hasn't been observed in laboratory conditions, but in the wild, on these like volcanic mountains in some islands somewhere, staghorn ferns. Now you'd know a staghorn fern if you see one. They are they're the plants that um like old people have in their backyard, like hanging on a. a uh, on a wall, so you can hang a staghorn fern and it kind of grows in this really unique shape. You would Google staghorn fern, you'll absolutely know what I'm talking about when you see it, right? So, staghorn ferns on this island with these volcanic mountains grow in colonies, right? They grow in colonies. And the way that they grow uh, helps them to, they kind of grow in such a way that they can store water uh, for the less rainy uh, seasons in their leaves and then kind of give this water to the whole colony, not just keep it to themselves, right? The whole colony, including little um, seedlings. So boom, instantly, that's one of the three requirements. That is 
cooperative brood care, right? You see that? Because because all of the plants are collecting the water, which is the only resource a bunch of plants needs and light. But, you know, and so they are all working together to store this water. I, I couldn't find any pictures of one of these colonies. I imagine there were pictures, but they were locked behind paywalls of A, the New Yorker. I hate you, New Yorker. You keep stopping in my tracks. And B, uh, some scientific papers that... um just wouldn't let me in because they were like, oh yeah, you need to pay for these. And I was like, I don't want to pay for a scientific paper just because I need an image. But anyways, that they work these colonies, right? So that's one of the three requirements. But what about the other requirements? Well, we've clearly got overlapping generations because it's not like um, when the plants seed below them, they don't just then keel over and die so more younger plants offspring of those initial colony members are also growing next to them that's overlapping things but hmm there was one more requirement for you sociality yeah harry how the hell are plants some plants gonna not have babies and some plants exclusively designed for work that doesn't make any sense plants just grow well guess what listener i just invented that argues with me all the time they do that Kind of. So um, some of the staghorn ferns, when they are in a particularly good position, they will forego growing reproductive organs. So like flowers and, and, and buds and things like that. They will forego doing that in order to maintain where they are and keep feeding the water to the rest of the colony. That is divil- division of labor, goddammit. And that is a used social colony in plants. Oh, that's awesome. I always, there's been a lot of studies coming out and I, I again, I don't read scientific papers, but if I did, I'd be really excited about this. There's been all of these studies coming out for for a couple years now that talk about how plants can communicate in a way cleverer way than we initially like thought them to it's it's wild like there are studies of of trees that sense like like they have uh, ants all over them and they're able to tell other trees that that hey i'm covered in ants you need to get ready to like oh, oh it's fun that we're talking about ants actually or i'm covered in pests or other you need to start producing pheromones to kill off pests so you guys don't get attacked or, or, or you know what i mean right but trees genuinely do this and so there's all these studies coming out of like hey i think plants actually talk to one another and this these uh, staghorn ferns are a great example of not just eusociality, but also how that can occur in plant the plant kingdom as well as the animal kingdom. God, what a what a good time it must be to be a botanist right now, huh? Oh. We're talking about ants still. Oh, so we've talked a lot about uh, how ants kind of react in their own world, but how do they react with the human world? Well, we human <laughs> ants and humans have had a long, long history together of uh, back and forths. We because we're the the two 
kind of super super organism species. I don't I don't know the word, but there's a definition for it. It's like both ants and humans we're kind of on equal footing when it comes to like like how much of the globe we exist on, which is uh, all of it except for the ocean, really. Like it's a and 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 ants are just as organized as us and more or less and you know they don't have like iPhones or whatever but like there's 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 said to be like between 1 and 10 quadrillion ants on the planet that's like one ant 1 million ants for every human on the planet which is just an insane number to begin with but we're both very organized species and we're both some of the very rare species that uh, change our environment to such extents. Like, humans have obviously done that. I mean, if, if last episode was anything to go on. But also, like, ants do it really extensively as well. But but there's all these stories of how people through history, and even in the modern day, have used ants to our benefit and how, like, how the relationship has kind of gone down. So I've got a couple examples here. So first of all, their food. Yep. You can eat ants, and I'm not just talking about honey ants, which are the most delicious kind of ants, and also just, like, look delicious. Like, if you've ever seen a honey ant nest, like, gone digging for one or whatever, it's when you unearth it, it's just, like, a little bowl in the dirt full of, like, these little grape-sized honey ants. Like, oh, my God, that's yummo. Anyways, honey ants are just waiting to be eaten. But there are also, in Colombia, they roast ants, creating a, uh, it kind of looks like like popcorn or, or, or seeds that you can just go to snack on. Um, in uh, Queensland, the green ant is mashed up and then turns into a, a rather nice acidy drink that, uh, as it has been described to me. And also, like, in some countries, they're used as a condiment and in some countries, they're more eaten. Their larvae is eaten as, like, a caviar. Like, ants are, just as a food alone, they're, they're pretty versatile, but that comes from there being, like, about... 20,000 distinct species of ants across the world. So they're all going to be like eaten in different ways. Here's a crazy like thing I heard. So uh, in South Africa, there's this tea that comes from South Africa called rooibos. It is a non-caffeinated drink that personally I super like. Thank you to an old teacher of mine for like introducing me to rooibos tea. But I really like rooibos because it's non-caffeinated and, and, and tastes like a really strong, rich tea. But rooibos seeds, when they when they like scatter, scatter far, right? They are they are not they do not just drop. They really get carried by the wind. And so rooibos farmers uh, don't like aren't going to go and pick up each individual seed very small seeds too. So they use ants because ants will collect the seeds for food and then the farmers just sort of reach into the ant nest, grab the seeds and off you pop. They're using the ants to collect seeds for them. In fact, one of the earliest uses of ants ever on the planet, in fact, one of the first uses of biological control ever was in ancient China when they used weaver ants to... Uh, to um, keep pests out of citrus plantations and stuff like that. That's so cool. I don't know if this is the most well-known use, but it's definitely the most, like, I feel like the the what, most out there use for, for ants is the army ant soldier, which is, Google a picture of it, 
the scariest looking ant I've ever seen. It is like terrifying. And when you compare it next to like an army ant worker, it's like three times the size with this giant pale yellow head and these huge black mandibles that come out. Now, as we all know, ants are strong. I didn't have to say this fact in the in the report because we all know that ants can carry like a, a billion kilos or whatever. But the army ant soldiers' mandibles are so strong that in like Africa and places like that, they are used as medical sutures. You can literally staple together a wound. You can literally staple together a wound using a couple of these army ant soldier things. I I saw a video of this going down. Literally, they just put the ant up to the, like, like cleaned the wound and stuff. They put the ant up to the wound while holding it together and just let it, ooh, a phone call. I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna answer that. Whoever's calling, if you can hear this, if you're listening, I, I don't know who you are. I'm just not gonna I'm just not gonna answer it. I don't like answering phones that aren't mine. And also there was a, a text on that phone earlier about like a package being delivered. So I really don't know if this is here, I'm just gonna turn that off. That's not very good radio. Um I really don't know if it's my phone or not. Anyways, so what was I saying? Yeah, so army ants, you you hold the wound together and they literally just put the ants up to the wound and let them like, because the ants are already angry because they're being held. So they just bite into the first thing they see. And when the, the, the mandibles are deep enough, they just kind of twist and pull the body of the ant off. And you see people like that have taken pictures of these wounds sewn up by these army ants. And it's just a bunch of army ant heads lined up like that. Terrifying. So awesome. Oh man, can you imagine? Like who freaking figured that out? Just like, oh, I would really need to close this wound, but I don't want to hold it together myself. I know I'll let an ant bite it and then it will stay that way. Brilliant. It's so cool. And that happens and it still happens today. Like obviously we have uh, medical, like, you know, like we can sew up wounds now, but in a pinch, if you're in Africa, you find some army ant soldiers and you're being a little careful about it, go right ahead. I kind of said all I really needed to say. I've, I've literally closed my book. That's how much I've, I've, we've done what I need to say. Well, we talked about the etymology as opposed to the entomology of ants. That just a fun little joke. Um, we talked about how old ants are and how we have like fossils of them from over like 168 million years ago and there's listen there's so much that I skipped over in this report or that I I decided not to talk about just because I figured I would hit the end of the report way too quickly but like some of the ant, some of the ant um fossils were <laughs> I've just been to do to do these closing sections I normally just like um I'm on the Wikipedia page and just jumping back and forth. Uh, okay, anyways. So some of some ant fossils, some really old ones are found in what's called Baltic amber, which is this deposit in uh, like Russia. And it's, it's this huge amber deposit, like 90% of the world's amber comes from here. And so all manner of stuff has been uh, preserved in this amber. It's, it's, that exists and I didn't get to talk about it, right? 
the the different species of ant, like how they differ, like leaf cutter ants to weaver ants to 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 bulldog ants, which are found in Australia and right outside my TAFE. Like, yeah, I, like there are so many species, all with like these really specifically built bodies. Like leaf cutter ants have scissors just on their face. Like they literally have that. Um, th- how I didn't get to talk about how some ants can technically be considered like a kind of fluid because of the way that they can move, how some ants can, can create rafts out of their own bodies and how ant bridges work and how like uh, ants, I didn't even get to talk about how ants can organize themselves so like brilliantly that they're kind of better at doing it than humans or even how ants talk to one another, how their, their, their pheromones work. And there's all these interesting stories of how if you spray a living ant with the pheromones that an ant gives off when it's dead, not only will other ants believe that ant is dead, even if it's alive and moving around, but the ant will believe itself dead and go like if there's a large pile of dead ants the alive ant with the dead ant pheromones will walk over and lay down in the pile assuming that it is dead as well they are i mean that's kind of dumb but like i mean if someone told me that i was dead every day for a week like i would probably assume that it was true just there is so much about these creatures that that i never think about and now every time i see an ant nest i'm gonna think oh my god you are if if aliens came down to Earth and there weren't humans there to greet them, I know who I would think is the dominant species, you guys, because they absolutely are. It's brilliant. What an amazing, what an amazing animal. Discover Thursdays is written, hosted, and edited by me, Harry Bell. And thank you to Inspire Radio for providing the recording equipment. You can listen to this show and many more live at inspireradio.org.au and give them a follow on their Facebook page. Our theme music is Baby Tears Blues by Mort Garson. Discover Thursdays airs live every Thursday from 6am to 9am GMT plus 8. 